Welcome to The Uncertainties, the podcast for 20-somethings who don't quite have their shit together yet. I'm your host, Karis, and I started this podcast because the last few years have been a huge learning curve for me. Entering the world of work, moving out of my family home, trying and often failing to live up to the challenges of being a fully-fledged adult. It can be overwhelming at the best of times, and I know that I'm not the only person who feels like this because I'm going to be speaking to a bunch of my friends and people that I admire about the struggles that they have faced and how they are able to absolutely smash life. Today's guest is a trained professional chef who just over three years ago, alongside his business partner Jules, decided to launch his own restaurant called Utter Waffle. Since then, they've been featured in Code Hospitality's 30 Under 30 list. His business, accompanied with his trusty little van Reggie, has travelled all over the country serving waffles to the nation, from Christmas at Kew Gardens, Warner Brothers film sets, Covent Garden and Chiswick House, to name just a few locations. However, like many independent businesses and restaurants, the last two years have not been without their challenges, with James being forced to pivot his business due to the effects of COVID-19. Now in 2022, they are four-time British Street Food Award winners who have featured on Sunday Brunch and ITV News, proving that those 14-hour workdays were completely worth it. And their business is an utter success. James Timmons, welcome to the podcast. Karis, thanks for having me. Oh, such a pleasure. And I did that so seamlessly. <laughs> Genuinely. Who would have thought I'd enjoy sitting on a sofa so much, listening to all of my achievements? Oh, <laughs> how are you doing, though? Thank you so much for um, traipsing into central London in this shocking weather, because it is not nice. Absolutely not a problem. Um, I was promised wine and good conversation, so uh, I so travel far anywhere delivered. for that. So far, so far delivered. the wine's here. <laughs> I'll let you know on the latter. No pressure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But we've got a lot to unpack, so I'm going to just dive straight in, that's if that's right. okay with you. Absolutely. If it wasn't clear from that kind of patchy introduction, you are a chef, so I wanted to know, where did your love of cooking come from? So, I do remember loving cooking pretty much as yeah as, as long as I can remember, and I think that... Um, I hate to say it because he'll he'll brag about this for ages, but it's probably from my dad, in truth. My dad was always a really, really, really good cook growing up. Obviously, I grew up in... So I was born in 93, so mainly the noughties, but, you know, a little bit of the 90s. And it was a lot rarer back then to have a parent... You know, I'm from, like, British heritage, like, that, that cooked so many, like, amazing foods from all different kind of cultures. Dad used to cook all sorts of Asian food, you know, all sorts of Indian food, Mexican, Spanish, um, which I remember when my friends used to come around, they'd be like, what is this? Like, That's this is crazy. It's, what do you mean? It's not turkey dinosaurs. <laughs> I'd be like, it's not turkey dinosaurs. It's quite disappointing um, if you're like eight years fair. old. Yeah. yeah, to be yeah. fair, devastating. It's only Cocker Van. God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not again, Dad. <laughs> um, so embarrassing. <laughs> Cocker Van, put it away. Um, so yeah, I, I think I'm, I would say my dad, to be honest with you. That's oh, the that's early lovely. stage. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, it's the early stage love of cooking. Everything. I mean, he didn't. He wasn't always great. We mm. used to have jokes about if we ever saw dad get the slow cooker out, we'd all suddenly find dinner plans because we'd be like, "Oh, is that the slow cooker? I am so sorry. Forgot oh. to mention I've got plans tonight." And you'd be like, "James, you're four. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Timmy's calling. Honestly, oh, I can't disappoint him." <laughs> So did your dad travel quite a lot? Like, how did he have this kind of fusion of so many different cuisines? Or was he just really, he just loved 
exploring different cuisines? It's a good question. I mean, he did travel quite a lot with work, but he always used to make jokes about the fact that when he travelled with work, he hardly left the hotel or left oh. the, you know, the, you know, the, he ran exhibitions, the exhibition centre or whatever. Um, I think he just, he just spent fuck ton on cookbooks, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. But I don't think, I, I think he just loved food and there was always, yeah, he, there was always cookbooks or he'd be photocopying his favourite recipes from cookbooks and so making like his own, like he had this big like lever arch which had all his own Oh, I love his, that. But I've always wanted to, yeah. to get to a stage where I've had that. That's really lovely. And so I'm guessing he must have like been very open with you, get, like getting you guys involved in cooking with him. Because like my mum's really funny because she's always like, "Oh, you guys just like never want to cook with me." But honestly, <laughs> the moment I step in the kitchen, she's like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> I will like tap my hand away. I'm like, "Mum, this is literally why we don't cook together." <laughs> but I feel like it takes a special kind of like vibe to get everyone to get you know mucking in and getting in the kitchen together yeah a special kind of patience probably <laughs> very he, um, patient he is he has lots and lots of great traits but he is genuinely the most patient man really? in the whole like the history of the world it's oh, a joke i mean i can see um, that he, yeah i mean and like my mom and dad had four children under four and a half like i think that patience has to kind of come <laughs> come with that or someone gets locked up because like <laughs> if you're not patient at that point like something's going Something's going oh, wrong. Four kids um, under four and a half. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. That's so busy. I, I think you learn it. Yeah. Don't you? you learn patience by that point. Mm-hmm. Um, either that or he was drunk <laughs> all the time. <laughs> I'm not sure. But yeah, he uh, no, he definitely he loved he loved us cooking with him. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other three growing up, I don't think like my other siblings don't. I don't think they had the same like obsession with it or like interest in it as I did at that age. Mm. They're now all oh, to be fair. Um, you know, really, really good cooks as well. <laughs> For the listeners who didn't see that, the face that James just pulled. <laughs> Very questionable. <laughs> no, I think... <laughs> no, no, they are. They are actually genuinely all really, really good cooks themselves now. Um, but I don't think at that age they were maybe as interested. So I definitely remember spending a lot of time in the kitchen with my dad. But the the first meal that I remember cooking, not so much. It was probably a disaster. I probably tried to block it out of my memory. <laughs> I was probably drunk. <laughs> Twelve. <laughs> Let's unpack that later. <laughs> we'll just put a pin in that now. <laughs> um, but I would also really like to hear about the training process because I have absolutely no idea what that process is. I know that you have... Wait for it. An NVQ. Is that, <laughs> wow. is that, yeah, I've done my She's research. Done research. I've done my research. Um, but I would love to know like what that process is like because you did that before you went to uni, didn't you? I did, yeah. So I after school, after sixth form, I went and trained as a chef. Um, if I'm honest, I I was about three and a half hours into it when I knew I didn't want to be a chef forever, which I know is not the romantic answer you probably hoped oh, for. I, didn't um, know that. I love cooking. I absolutely love cooking. But there's lots of things in kitchens that I me and most people that work in kitchens don't necessarily like really love like there's a lot of problems in in a lot of kitchens um kind of like everything you see on television i guess mm. um it's all true <laughs> um but no the, the process you can do it in a couple of different ways you can be in the kitchen five days a week in, in in school sorry five days a week the school kitchen um i didn't actually opt down that route because uh someone who i knew really well that was a chef at the time said that's a little bit like when you learn to um learn to how to drive and then suddenly you're let out of your, you know, you pass your test and you're let out of your instructor's car and you're yeah. suddenly like, ah! Yeah, it's not <laughs> why is everyone driving at me? Why are they beeping? Why is she, why is she on my windscreen? What? That sort of thing. So, um... Another pimp? Yeah. <laughs> also when I was 12. 
Um, but so I decided to do like a, an apprenticeship route. So I still went mm. to a really, really good college and I did two days a week in the college and actually four days a week in the kitchen. Um, you had to kind of find uh, somewhere that would have you. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really lucky. I, fa- I, I trained at the Royal Abbott Hall whilst I was at my... Um, That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it was really, really cool. Like That's have, exciting. Yeah, they have like three um, restaurants of like varying levels and then like box food and event catering and stuff like that. So I've done some really cool stuff there. Um, and yeah, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I wouldn't change it at all. Um, but, you know, I then went on and did a, a finance degree because I knew I wanted to, to own my own restaurant rather than work for someone else. Right. OK, I see. I think, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a complete control freak. I'm pretty insufferable. <laughs> um, I, I think that I know how to do everything better than everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> which is is I'm actually taking over uncertainties as of next week because I'm better than no I'm kidding but um I, I'm I really I'm kidding but like um I think I did yeah I did know really early on particularly when I was training and in kitchens that I found it a really hard environment to be in mm. um I think it's quite sad in a way that a lot of she- a lot of chefs still go into the industry because they're not very good at anything else which is really really sad but it's definitely something I've come across in my time Um, and because of that they resent it a little bit and because of that they you know don't enjoy being there and they don't love their job and and not only that you know they they get a little bit at times power trippy as we've seen you know on television programs and things like that it is very much like that Um, not always the best communicators and yeah I I realized really really quickly in the in the few kitchens that I worked in when I was training that it wasn't something that I wanted to do long term to work for someone else. And that's not me saying that there aren't kitchens that are amazing and communicate really, really well and have a really healthy work life balance and Mm. do all those things that you look for in any job, you know, environment. But from my experience, it's quite rare to find. Um, So I knew quite quickly that I loved food and I loved food enough to want to work in food, but that I also um, hated chefs enough that I didn't (laughs) want to do it for someone else. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that really like, makes you think about whatever business or restaurant you're building, how you then pave the way for the environment that you want for the people that you're working with. I, I hope so. I, I hope, you know, like... Because I brought in your... Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> you brought in, in your sous like... chef and they actually disagree, James. <laughs> Why is she crying? <laughs> um... <laughs> I really hope so. I think, you know, me and Julia, so my business partner, Jules, is one of my best mates. She has always worked front of house in management, running restaurants, running events. And we've always hated the idea that it's very, like, back of house versus front of house in lots of restaurants we've worked yeah. in, you know. The, the chefs screw over the waitresses nonstop. Mm. You know, if a waitress makes a mistake, it's, well, screw them, they can deal with it. You know, their food will be late, etc. Mm. Rather than, you're all one entity, you're one business, you're one team. Like, they're your customers, both of your customers. And and I I really don't remember many restaurants I've worked in that have a, that that kind of a view, and we definitely that part of it um, make sure that our culture is like you know the the front of house team are very very much equal to the back of house team. No one yeah. is better or worse. No one is you know more intelligent, less intelligent, more integral to the team, less into. And and we work together. And if you know if a waitress makes a mistake, a waiter makes a mistake, the chef makes a mistake, we work together to make that customer experience as good as it possibly can be. You've mentioned that. Kit, like being in a kitchen is very similar to what it's like on yeah. TV. 
there are lots of shows. Everyone's obsessed with the shows. We've got Master Chef. We've got Great British Bake Off. We've got Great British Menu. Is yes. that what? How I feel like have you have you ever auditioned for any of them? Uh, I was going to ask whether or not like which are the ones that you would like to do if given mm, the opportunity. There there is a there's a program coming up very very soon with a very famous arguably the most famous television chef. Um, which is um, young food businesses competing for a, a big investment of money. And um, I got to the last 15 for 12 places on that. Oh, my God. Um, and unfortunately, didn't make the count. Right at the end. Oh. Right at the end. Didn't make enough waitresses cry. Um, God damn. So there is a season two of that coming around, and it might be something that we you know, that we explore again. Mm-hmm. But that is a, for me, that was a really cool program, and it's, it's yet to air the first season. It's, it's coming out in, a, in about a month's time. But it's um, kind of a mixture of business, food, and like um, almost like activity-based challenges, oh. which are kind of three things that I that I love. You know, um, what do you mean by activity-based challenges? So I guess it's kind of a mixture between like The Apprentice. Um, I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> Say no more. Tell yeah. me about it. Um, <laughs> the Apprentice, you know, Master Chef, and like Bear Grylls. Okay, well, wow. is that, that, <laughs> is that how it. they marketed it to you? That's pretty it much like it. was literally it on the casting sheet. They were like, Bear Grylls meets MasterChef. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. That's they, really... they kept a lot under wraps. But... So which elements of Bear Grylls? Because I'm kind of struggling to get my head around. <laughs> Maybe I don't mean Bear Grylls. <laughs> like, were you, were you Maybe like, it's more in like... a desert, like, being forced no, to drink so your no. own <laughs> No, you're right. Like, I think maybe I've misunderstood. Like, maybe like Fear Factor. Urine? Okay. More like Fear Factor. Did you ever watch Fear Factor? Am I too old? For... I don't remember Fear Factor. No, not, uh, Fort Boyard. Crystal Maze. Crystal Maze, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, we'll have to wait and see. Okay. I won't be watching it you, because you... I'll be crying. Yeah, yeah, bitter <laughs> Yeah, as hell. like yeah. non-stop. And actually, if you watch it, we won't be talking again. Interesting, okay. But any of the viewers or the listeners that don't know me and don't care if I speak to you again, watch it and let me know. So w- whenever you did these... Um, Comp- do can you yeah it's a competition mm. yeah yeah I guess so um, would you be doing it with your business partner Jules that or was wasn't it a, a actually solo... that was a they wanted one person to represent the business right, and it okay. was just something that you know uh, me and Jules have completely mixed different skills mm. like through and through which is why we work so well together and we just decided that my skill set was maybe a little bit better, better suited to, the, to that program. Yeah, oh, makes sense. Clearly not well enough suited. <laughs> I'm not better. Sorry, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. Um, so, learning to be a chef, doing all of the training, I'm sure you had some incredible wins. I'm sure you had some pretty big disasters. Can you remember an experience of like one one time where you were like, "We've, I've really cocked this shit up? Yeah. Yeah, lots. Pray tell. Yeah. Um, I'd say, well, I'll give you a couple and then you Go can on. choose which ones Please stay do. in. Oh, it can just Another be fail 45 story. minutes of cooking Just riffing, fails. yeah. Um, my very first day at Wimbledon Tennis Club where I, I worked for 10 years and cooked for the players, which is a really cool gig. Um, I was taking the temperatures of the fridges and the way that you do that is you have a tiny little block of butter in each of the fridges and you have to probe it with a temperature probe and check the temperature of the fridge, and it's a it's a really oh, junior job. Okay. They make okay. all the you know the, the commie chef do it. My first day in the in the in the players' restaurant, I was absolutely bricking it. You know, I've walked past Nadal on the stairs and all that sort of shit. And um, I go to take my fridge temps because the big scary Scottish chef has asked me to do it. And I to go to take the first temp, I push way too hard and I push the probe straight through my hand, <laughs> straight through the back of my hand. How I don't know. It's butter, okay. <laughs> and I am so embarrassed. I just put a blue glove on. 
And it isn't until actually Julia, my now business partner, who I'd never met at the time, was like, I'm so, so sorry to bother you, chef, but your 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 glove is full of blood. <laughs> and the glove was just full of, of, of blood. Oh. And I was like, I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. <laughs> I say, I'm all good. <laughs> um, Holy yeah, crap. Which is embarrassing. And then another great story is... Um, <laughs> and, then, and then what did you have to just be like, I'm so sorry to um, to mention this right now, but I have actually stabbed myself. <laughs> like, I've impaled was, myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the probe was still in my hand at this point. <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, oh no, I God. told her, but I didn't want the chefs to know just because I was more So you carried on? I carried on. So you you literally it's stabbed... A t- it's quite a tiny probe. I mean, okay. it, like, it's like, you know, like almost like a pen, I guess, but a bit thinner than a pen. Yeah, straight through my hand. And then just pulled it straight out. I'm pretty sure I probably still have butter in my hand. Interesting, yeah. Which I try to blame for my weight gain throughout my <laughs> 20s. It's the butter, it's circulating. I'm just trying to imagine how you like sit with the embarrassment, not to try and make you relive how embarrassed, mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. embarrassed mm-hmm. you felt, but like, yeah, what what is that? What, what is the chef's response you when know stuff like this happens? I didn't feel that embarrassed for that one because I had a chef, a, a female head chef called Sawi, who punched me in the face because of oh, her. Good lord! <laughs> Genuinely, she punched me in the face. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, I know. I but felt like for... that. For I mean, not that there were any, there's any reason to be punched in the face, no. but like, for messing is, up there, the soup, is there context? Garris. Oh, she, okay. yeah, yeah. So she punched her in the face. That's that's intense. Cool. Yeah, I'm glad that you called her out on. This. Yeah, on on on. You're starting beef yeah. for the long. hundred percent, literally. <laughs> this is twelve years of like pent up anger. Up, yeah. I now feel like I'm untouchable because I own a waffle house. I yeah. love it. Yeah, sorry um, if you are listening. I'm guessing there's no HR in the. See, there is. There was HR, but they were they were terrified of the chefs as well. It's like yeah. Yeah. So she just (laughs) went. She went on a killing spree. She essentially killed Um, HR. Punched me in the face. Oh my goodness! Made twelve new batches of cauliflower soup. (laughs) All in a day's work. (laughs) It it definitely wasn't. That wasn't normal. Right. No, it was in like there was you know. <clears throat> a lot of chefs, you know, with a lot of pent up anger, you know, there's a lot of drugs in chefing, like a huge amount. In oh, what, really? Yeah, you know, because of the hours you work and stuff yeah, like that. I, I mean, actually, it's not yeah, that makes something sense. that personally ever I, you know, um, dabbled in. But so there's a lot of like, you know, people that aren't particularly level headed and they get a bit all over the place. Um, so I have seen lots of like, you know, people be physical Past in the that. kitchen. Yeah. But, um, you know, to a 17 year old boy, you know, who'd been working there for like four or five months. That was something that I no, that wasn't normal. No. Yeah, that is crazy. Mm. But I guess I, I I assume that also these kind of um, experiences are what cemented in your mind the fact that you wanted to create your own path and, move away, and like step away from 100%. that. I mean, point. we still punch them. <laughs> <laughs> I am kidding. <laughs> Good I'm lord, kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, no, one hundred percent. Those were all the things that we were like that that. That and like a whole host of other yeah, things that, ha- yeah, you know, yeah, that, yeah. that happen in kitchens that was just like, we want to do our own thing and we want to create a culture of just like a family that, you know, that are passionate about what we do. And um, and I, I'm ho- I hope that we're on the, the path to achieving that, yeah. Who are the most influential chefs in that have inspired you, either people that have inspired you from afar or people that you've actually worked in a kitchen with? That's a great question. Um... I've worked with a lot of chefs. I've worked with a lot of, you know, really great chefs. Um, I think a chef that I've worked with that's really inspired me is a guy called Neil. Um, he's a great guy. He 
Uh, he actually doesn't spend that much time in the kitchen anymore, but he's now in charge of like huge venues for like all of the logistics and the ordering of all the food. So you know he's able to go into somewhere like Wimbledon tennis, you know, where they go from like sixty visitors a day to like something like eighty or ninety thousand a day, you know, for two for two weeks in a row, wow. with like forty five different food outlets and and know how to order for that and how to get the food in and how to do the menu costing and stuff like that. And I know that's not particularly um. You know, I'm not even talking about his cooking necessarily, but like his brain was just like fascinating and he's such a nice guy and he's a really caring guy. And I still call him occasionally and I just go, you know, I've been asked to quote on a job, you know, for this many people. How on earth do I possibly start to work out how much food that they eat? Mm. And he'll be able to go, well, on average, someone's going to eat 65 grams of chicken if they're having it with XXX. He's such a such a clever guy. Wow. Really, really nice guy. And then from a distance, it's a bit of a rogue one, but I'm a big Nigella fan. Are you? Big Nigella fan. And I tell you why, Mick Rawabe, (laughs) that's actually why I'm not taking the pit. She's really clever. Like her, like, because what I love about her is that obviously I love cooking, but I'm also trying to build a brand. Mm. So what I have to do is like partner cooking and good recipes and good food with marketing and stuff that people are going to talk about and stuff that people are going to want to put on social media and tweet about and do TikToks on. She's the absolute master of that. Yeah, in like she she's is. the absolute master of, you know, of being able to take what could be quite a boring, you know, recipe and suddenly overnight everyone's talking about it because yeah. she said microwave stupidly. She won an stupidly. award, didn't she? She's, she's genius. Also, <laughs> I like think... best moment on like the oh, national television awards or something. Dreaming. It was like, Mikuave, iconic. Honestly. And I, I, see myself, I see myself in Nigella. You know, both we've both got a fantastic chest, me and Nigella, honestly, and brilliant hair. So, um, fantastic yeah, kind of yeah, hair. Nigella is, yeah, what about? I like that. You went to travel to South America. I presume was that after you did your time um, training to be a chef, or was that when? When did that take place in your life? The six months of traveling. That was actually after uni. So I went. Oh, I trained okay. as a chef. Went to uni, did my finance degree, and then I actually had a grad scheme lined up in finance. Um, you know, so a job with with all you know whistles and bells. You know the 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 company car and the fifty percent bonus and the you know everything else that comes with with it. And you know, I knew I wanted some time traveling, like lots of people do. It's not yeah. you know groundbreaking to say I wanted to go on a gap year, but um, <laughs> so I, I deferred it for a year. And then enough people said to me while I was away, you don't really strike me as the sort of bloke that would work in a bank. Yeah. And enough people said it that I was like, you know what? And then I came back and. Turned down the job maybe about 10 days before I was meant to stop. Wow, really? Yeah. I mean, you seem pleased. They weren't pleased. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> good on you, man. Good on yeah, you. Yeah, they, they didn't love it. Yeah, I, mm. I can imagine. I mean, yeah, yeah, mm. fair enough. But um, I would love to know, traveling around South America, did you do that alone? I didn't. I did it with one of my best mates, Sophie. Oh, okay. Uni, yeah. That's amazing. But I'm also just thinking from um, a cooking and food perspective. I mean, South America is known for having incredible food. What was... Uh, from a food perspective, the best country or the best meal that you had while you were traveling? Oh, that's such a good question. I could talk for the whole 45 minutes on this. I'll try and keep it brief. Um, steak in Argentina is unreal. Really? Yeah. Lamb in Argentina, people don't really talk about, but when you go down to Patagonia, lamb is actually the, the, the oh, thing wow. to get rather than okay. rather than beef a little bit, you know, for most of the country. But definitely the best country by far was, was Peru. It's absolutely incredible. Not just food from Peru, you know, ceviche and lots of fresh seafood and, and all sorts of things. But also they, like Lima, the, the capital, they can do everyone's food so well. So they're a proper food city. You know, it's a bit like London, a bit like, you know, New York. a bit, And, and it's just every restaurant we went to was like 10 out of 10. 
Like it was incredible. I mean, we went to the third best restaurant in the world there. Um, saved about a week and a half worth of budget. To, I was going to you know, say, yeah, how to is, go. it, is it really expensive then? All of yeah, these it was. No, okay. it was really expensive. Yeah. Um, but when that's your passion, something you want to spend time, yeah, you know, spend, spend, spend money on. You know, I was sleeping in places that look like crack dens. But Christ, <laughs> honestly, off <laughs> I'll I went. Make my to, way there. Yeah, yeah. Had to shower up and get the, the smell off and go to the third best restaurant in the world. Oh my God, that's incredible. Yeah. Going back to what you were saying about turning down this huge grad scheme that must have been a really big decision in your mm. life i wanted to know how you felt turning away from what most people would see as being quite a traditional path and kind of just i don't like betting on yourself really and just like taking a bit of a leap into the unknown at the time were you like did you know that it was quite a big decision or were you a bit flippant about it didn't really think about it I think I'd had a year to process the decision. Right, okay. And by the time I made the decision, it was the least big, you know, it was the smallest decision of my life. Yeah. Like, I really was. I was so certain about it by that point. Um, I think I always have to be really careful when I talk about this because I don't ever want anyone to think that I'm knocking people that go down the traditional and society's kind of version of traditional routes because I'm just not, like, at all. I think that there's so many different routes to success or to happiness and mm. lots of people have, you know, completely different... What what I don't rate is people that don't want to go down that route but feel pressurised to or, yeah, you know, feel like they should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's Agreed. really sad. And I think it's really sad. I've got certain mates that I might meet up with, you know, year on year at Christmas, you know, just a Christmas catch-up or whatever, and they complain about the same things about their job year on year. And I, it sounds, you know, I don't want it to sound, you know, high horsey, but I just rate my happiness more than that. I really, mm. really do, like... I rate being happy every day and enjoying what I do every day. Um, but no, at the time, I would I didn't sit there and think this is the biggest decision of my life. I sat there and was like, it's been a year that, and I've just gone, come, got more and more certain of yeah. th- that it's not something I want to do. And I Same. think I'm just the last thing on that. I'm really careful as well to be really, really clear that a lot of people see being an entrepreneur as like incredibly admirable and like you know, and quite often with envy and all that sort of thing. There is a hell of a lot about a nine to five consistent job with job security oh and all God, the rest totally. of it that that is that is that I envy. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. there is <clears throat> and but I think people are so quick to immediately go, that's better. You're an entrepreneur, you're brave, you're all these things, that's better. It's not necessarily better. You it's know, I work yeah. hideous hours, I really struggle to see my friends, really struggle. You know, my mental health takes a toll at time. You know, at times when it's, you know, when business is bad, you know, money-wise isn't brilliant. There is a hell of a lot that's admirable about people that have taken the route of going, no, actually, I want stability. stability. And exactly. that, that's, that's, I rate that. It's funny you should say that, actually, because someone even today was like, how are you doing? Like, the podcast is doing so well. And I was like, that's so funny you should say that because in, like, <laughs> in my head, behind the scenes, everything is going Yeah. <laughs> Social media and is it's, a, it's, a crazy, it's, crazy it's, thing. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like thing. whatever you project, um, it's just not true. So, but, and also, I guess it, it, it kind of highlights that there are different measures of success. Yeah. You know, someone might see, you know, unfortunately, we live in a world where most people see a measure of success as how many followers something's got on Instagram. Mm. And I, I find that that, that that is what most people see. They go on as Swaffle's Instagram yeah. now and they go, whoa, you've gone from a couple of hundred followers to 12,500 now or yeah. whatever it is. You're successful, and and it's it's a people's different measure of success. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that when you own your own business or you know have your own project of of, of any description, you really see 
how you can portray anything that you want. So someone, you know, saying to you, wow, the podcast is going so well and you're going, what? I'm just about holding it together behind the, you know, <laughs> yeah. which, by the way, it does not seem like because we are sitting in a very, very lovely space. And Karis's face is plastered on mu- murals around the wall. I'm obsessed with myself. <clears throat> and she's got three staff members that are just waiting on her. But <clears throat> you're right. You're absolutely right. For ages, yeah. we kept being told how well we were doing. <clears throat> And I kept looking at my wallet and being like, I don't understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's nothing in nothing's here. matching yeah. up here. Yeah, I totally understand that. Um, let's discuss starting your own company because we're kind of already we're already on the topic. So, how old were you when you launched Utter Waffle? Because it's, it, I said in my intro that it's been about three and a half years, which means that you must have been what, like, twenty five? Yeah. When you so we, we celebrated our third year our third birthday on the 31st of january just oh, okay happy birthday thanks um so three years let's say okay. so yeah i i was i was 24 when i started like you know when we set up the company oh, okay. in terms of like on paper um branding etc etc and yeah. you know by the time it launched 25 yeah oh my god so like that's just so insane. that's why i look 104 <laughs> <laughs> not long um, just cannot be further from the truth. Oh. But um, how did you actually meet Jules? Because we've we've spoken about her quite a lot already. But I don't actually know like the the story of your relationship, like how you found each other, and how you guys actually decided to become business partners. Because I mean, it's a huge decision. Yeah, it's a massive decision. Yeah, um, one that I regret every single day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. She'll be listening 100. percent So. <laughs> Um, so me and Jules met at Wimbledon, actually. So on that oh. first day where I stabbed myself in the hand. Oh, which, yeah, great um, impression. Yeah, really good impression. She <laughs> went, she was like, he's the one. Those hands <laughs> could hold up a business. <laughs> so she's she's an amazing person. She's very, very, very clever. Um, she won't mind me saying that, like, I'm not talking, like, book clever and book smart. She is all of those things, but she's very, very clever when it comes to hospitality. She's very talented. She, you know, um, runs teams front of house. I've seen her run big events. You know, we've um, been out to, to to Dublin and different places, you know, that where she's run big teams in venues that she's never been to and stuff like that. She just has a very, very natural um, ability with hospitality and I'm very much in awe of it. Being very back of house, I see the way that she runs front of house and has customers wrapped around her finger. It's, it's really, really impressive. It makes, me, it makes me really happy to watch, actually, particularly when they're paying us. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so we worked together for, for eight or nine years at Wimbledon, worked our way up from, she was a waitress, I was the kind of commie chef with a bleeding hand, and um, up to, to senior senior positions. Um, and, you know, we that wasn't a forever job, that was, you know, seasonal, that was six weeks, eight weeks of a year. And she worked then at other venues, I was obviously going through uni and stuff. And it was on our, yeah, on our last um, year that we did it, and we just kind of said, shall we just, you know, should we do something, you know, by this point we, I would say it was a really, really close friend, probably not best friends, but we started hanging out outside of work and, you know, we got on like a house on fire. Um, and yeah, it was a big step, actually. It was a really, really big step. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen lots of people make the wrong decision when it comes to going to business with people. Um, me and Julia, when it comes to work, are the polar, polar, polar opposite. Polar opposite. I'm a complete control freak. Like, I'm an absolute perfectionist. I said to a really, really new staff member of mine the other day, she'd only been in for about four hours, and I said, look, I'm really sorry, Hannah, I am quite particular. And she turned to me and said, really? 
So, you know, that's that's my sort of vibe. Julia, in her own way, is obviously has sta- you know really high standard. Yeah. It's a lot more laid back, yeah. lets me get away with a lot of stuff. If I go, no, 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 I really think it needs to be like this, she goes, okay, cool. And she's really good at managing my... My, uh, you're all just, <laughs> I mean, honest to God, like she deserves but to be a honest medal. with you to be successful, you actually really yeah. do need to yeah. have that, which is a quality that I unfortunately don't do have. You know, no, no, a bit scatty, a, a very scatty, <laughs> very scatty. I wish I had someone like that. Um, yeah, it wouldn't work with two of me, it wouldn't work with two of her, <laughs> exactly. 110%. Yeah. Oh, that's so lovely. And so, yeah, it, it literally was just, I'm just trying to like mm. understand the moment from a, a, like a, an off kind of comment of saying, should we do something to it then becoming this like mm, quite we, we, we thought about doing something. Business. We thought about owning a street food concept. Right. We thought about savoury waffles. And then we went on Gumtree and saw the van. Which is now ready. And we visited it. And I just said to Jules, or one of us said to the other, well, um, we have to buy it or we won't start. Yeah, we just have to. We have to just do it, or we won't start. That's like and it was. It was honestly like a box of rust. Like the guys who did the conversion to make it into what it is now, which is a beautiful food truck. What mm. honestly, like, what have you bought? <laughs> and we were like, yeah, but we got it as a bargain price of, and they were like, that's not a good price. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Um, yeah. You kind of also mentioned this, but I want to dip into a little bit further. As a millennial who has grown up on social media, I find that the standard for food and the presentation of food has become its own thing because every plate has to look, quote unquote, Instagram worthy. As a chef, what I'm wondering is, is that something that um, inspires you to make delicious food um, that is also like picture perfect? Or is that something that you find quite frustrating now about, about hospitality? I don't think, without sounding you know pedantic, I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. Yeah. I find it frustrating, but it's absolutely something that has to inspire me. Yeah. Because I think if you are, you know, if you ignore that world, unfortunately, you're not, you know, you're gonna. I don't know many companies, you know, many food companies at the moment that are doing very, very well without, without embracing having, that. Yeah. yeah no, um, no, so it's definitely something I hope that that comes across on our social media, and when you know yeah. when you sit down and have a waffle and have a plate of food. Um, and every single new dish I create, that that's one of the big things. We go, cool, the flavours are right, but how are we going to make this look? Because mm. it's got to look different to the other food. It's got to be, you know, Instagrammable. It's all, the, all those other things. But I do find it frustrating. Yeah, I just wonder if it do, have. Do you feel like it's ever compromised the dish because you're like, I really want this flavour here, but then actually pouring this, I don't mm. know, sauce here is not going to be as as it's a really really it's a really pleasing. good question and the answer is yes really yeah. there's dishes that haven't made the menu because we can't work out how to present them nicely wow um, okay. you know we did a christmas dinner waffle you know recently at christmas which is amazing it's like mozzarella and fresh sage stuffed waffle it had this beautiful piece of chicken on top which had like a, a herb crust and it had carrot crisps it had braised cabbage and apple chutney it had all sorts of things going on all we wanted was to serve it with gravy but the gravy looked crap <laughs> like pouring gravy all over a waffle it just looked crap yeah uh, and we changed the dish because of it really you know so we had a christmas dinner waffle that didn't have gravy it did have this amazing rosemary infused honey and it worked really really well but um yeah there's dishes that don't make them any because they don't look right that's so crazy mm. see uh, in my head i would find that quite infuriating mm. but i feel like it just becomes part of the the process 
and now. yeah it does it's literally yeah. you're absolutely right it's a part of the process it's so you know where for probably 15 years ago it was we need to get that food to taste perfect that's that's the first half of the battle now and then it's cool and how do we present it because mm. it needs to look perfect yeah, yeah. And it needs to look perfect but it also needs to be manageable during a busy service on a weekend mm. you know that because we've made that mistake as well of being like that looks beautiful it's like oh it took me 45 minutes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh we serve a lot of food on a weekend yeah. and the chefs will cut me if i ask them to do that <laughs> god there's just so much at play with like every decision that you have to make it's so insane um Again, you've you've very slightly touched on this, but when you think about a lot of the chefs that have become these incredibly um, successful and public figures, they tend to have these very large personalities. Obviously, I can go on naming loads of them, but you've got Gordon Ramsay, Jamie Oliver. <laughs> I put Gino DeCampo on my <laughs> list. No, it's a fair one. Please. I mean, it has. Um, and of course, Nigella Lawson also made this list. But um, something that I found really interesting, actually, when, especially when looking online, is how much their brand brings people into yeah. their restaurants and i was wondering how much you think that you james as a brand um or like how you've become the brand and whether or not you feel like you've blurred into one or how you draw that line because you kind of touched on that a little bit before but it's just mm. quite intriguing because you you i mean you've got an amazing personality so obviously you would tap into that but i wonder whether or not you feel a pressure to like live up to that as well because they're very like intertwined it's yeah, I think that when you do the branding of a company, and I do think, and I am biased, but I do think us waffles branding is very, very strong. It's very recognizable. It's very mm. consistent. Um, you know, consistency in branding is really important that, you know, the uh, the brand voice on the social media, on the Instagram feels the same as the brand voice on the menu, which feels the same as the colors, which feels the same as what's going on in the bathroom, in the restaurant, which feels the same. All those things are really, really, really important. And I don't think people appreciate that quite enough. And how important it is that, you know, I know some other street food brands that you go onto their website and it's a different font and colour to their menu in their, you know, in their food truck and all that sort of thing. And that really matters. And, and yeah, me and Julia's brand, voice it is, is through the brand like a lot. And a lot of people say to me because, I you know, I run this, the Instagram, you know, I, I read it in your voice or I hear it in your voice. Yeah. Um, so it is, it's a real challenge. Um, I don't feel pressure. I don't think anyone knows who I am when they come there. Um, but uh, but it's definitely a challenge yeah, to to kind of to keep that consistent and and keep that feel throughout the whole the whole yeah place. yeah yeah it's very very um, cohesive the way that you've like created the whole of Utterwolf like now you're saying it it's becoming more clear in my mm. mind as well like looking at everything I'm like. You've done a very, very, very good job. With I mean, the we have like things like David's dead quotes, like in the in the bathroom, like <laughs> yeah. crap like that. I, love I it. mean, all that sort of thing. Like we've got playlists that have got like Atomic Kitten and crap on it. Yeah. You know, it's like Love of Huns is like thrown up yeah. over waffles. You know, <laughs> I love it. Um, it's so people good. People are starting to wonder if I'm running Love of Huns yeah. <laughs> at this point. The conspiracy has started. <laughs> <laughs> are you confirming or denying? And <laughs> neither. <laughs> okay, I feel like we have to. We can't talk about. You, we can't talk about um, utter waffle and, uncert and uncertainty without mentioning COVID and the effect that it's had on the hospitality sector. So obviously it was an incredibly different, uh, different. It was, it was, it was different. different. It was different. That it was. It was a very difficult time for restaurant owners. I know um, that you have publicly said that you had um, over £25,000 worth of utter waffle events that were cancelled over the summer of, I believe, 2020, was it? 
Um, it all blurs into one, doesn't it? But yeah, I think it yeah, was it was yeah twenty twenty. I'm just curious to know what your thoughts were in those f- very first few months where no one really knew what was going on. It was an incredibly discombobulating time and we just kind of all felt like we were like looking into the eye of the storm but really had no idea like what like where it was going to yeah. go it was like will it all be fine by tomorrow or could it you know be months or years like what were the what were your thoughts and <clears throat> what were the conversations that you were having with Jules at that time it is crazy isn't it because I remember so vividly being told that we had to stay inside for three weeks and, and that feeling like yeah. That feeling like forever. But yeah, it was, yeah. okay, we have to do this for three weeks, a bit of a novelty, and then it all goes away. And then like two years later, we're still obviously having to do it, you know, back and forth. Um, it was, it, you know, I don't want to, I basically I don't want to use those cliches because I, you know, people would have heard very, very similar answers to that question lots and lots of time. But it was devastating. Like it really was devastating. You know, we launched it in January 2019, we had, you know, your first year is always a write-off, isn't it? A bit of a write-off. You know, we were out there at Canary Wharf in the rain selling three waffles at lunchtime. Christ alive, honestly. <laughs> Honest to God, it's a, it's a surprise I managed to get this far. But, uh, you know, it was really, really hard work. But that was a, a bit of a write-off. Your first year, you kind of, you're, you're learning as you go. Mm. We had our second year lined up. You know, summer of our second year, festivals booked, private events booked, all sorts of cool stuff. And yeah, that you know, obviously that happened overnight, and everything was cancelled. It was actually near as a fifty k worth of worth of events and stuff oh cancelled. Wow. Um, it was the first time ever we were going to potentially pay ourselves something in in a year and a bit, and it was it was really really hard. It was really hard. And my sister tells the story very well because I live with my sister, of me just going, "What's the point? Like, there's just no point. You know, we're not going to like we need to give it up now." But. Um, me and Julia are very, very, very good. And it's the one thing that I don't envy any entrepreneur that's on their own because, uh, you know, every bad day that Julia has was a better day for me and we so I could bring her up Rally and vice versa. Yeah, really and we nice. just, you know, we, we just put our heads together and we, you know, launched overnight, you know, uh, DIY kits, like lots of other people, but, you mm. know, for delivery. We moved into a vacant street food unit in West Brompton to run um, Deliveroo out of. That later then turned into an amazing venture at the Prince in West Brompton. It turned into a permanent um, residency there, serving their 800-person pub, you know, throughout the whole year, on and off because of COVID and stuff like that. But it honestly made us. It it really, really made us. Um, I don't want to sit here for one moment and say I'm pleased that COVID happened because there are hundreds of reasons I'm not pleased. You know, Mm -hmm. most of all, you know, awful deaths and people losing people that they love, et cetera, et cetera, but also from a business perspective. But it made us what we are today. You know, we got in with the film industry through COVID because the film industry was one of the only industries that carried on, you know, and but because lots of street food vendors kind of closed down and went away and, and, and uh, furloughed themselves, they weren't available to, to serve. Right. But we were. We weren't eligible for furlough. We'd never made a profit, so we couldn't prove that we, we weren't on the, on the payrolls. We couldn't prove that we made any money, which we didn't at the time, so they wouldn't give us any loans, any grant, any furlough. Oh, so we just had to keep going. We yeah. just had to push on. Sometimes we'd make 30 quid on Deliveroo. I remember when our first delivery order ever came through and the noise happened and me and Julia lost our shit. But now we go into co-op and we hear that noise and honest to God, a small part of me dies. It's the worst <laughs> feeling ever. But, you know, it made us. It absolutely made us. Yeah. It, it pushed us and like almost broke us. And as cliche as it sounds, like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And yeah, like the I don't believe that we'd that. be where we were, where we are now. I don't believe we would be where we are. I mean, we hit the wine hard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I won't lie. Yeah, 12-year-old yeah, something... you must have been sick. <laughs> honestly, honestly, I was thinking, I promised 12-year-old me I wouldn't come back here. 
Oh my um, god. But yeah. Oh it was god. Tough, no, it's. I mean, yeah. That's crazy. So I didn't realize actually that it is so fascinating, isn't it? That such bizarre and obscure circumstances can push you into different directions. Because I had no idea that that's how you got into film, for example. Yeah. And like that's such a big opportunity that I imagine is like great for you 100%, now but 100%. um you probably never would have considered in any other circumstance so it's no. just so strange how these things and we now probably do two film shoots a month really it's 300 400 people each time wow but no we opened our restaurant our now restaurant the day that hospitality reopened in 2021 so the 17th of may right okay because i that was, was thinking a huge risk because we thought this might happen all over again you yeah. know we had three lockdowns by then but we just decided People are going to be desperate to spend some money, desperate to go out and eat some great food. Yeah. So and and so far, as long as Bojo doesn't screw us over with another lockdown, which doesn't look like it's it happening. Yeah, it looks promising at the yeah. moment. On slightly. <laughs> go on. <laughs> sip, sip your wine. On. <laughs> on slightly uh, more positive note, I wanted to go back to the menu. I had the absolute pleasure. Of getting, you did. Of coming to the restaurant. And also, I realised, I feel like you kind of gave me the MVP, like, seat. Oh, yeah, yeah, good, you did. You yeah. got table five, honey. Sam was like, People oh, my God. People for table five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I honestly was like, James has sorted We got a cancellation. Me. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Oh, no, I put, it, I put it in the system, oh, Karen. So I put it in the system. Did you actually... I was like, get him on table five. Honestly, because she'll be easy on me on the podcast. I loved it. I absolutely loved every second of it. But yeah, I had the absolute pleasure of having your waffles. They are fantastic. But I also just fucking love the name of like everything that you've done. So you got some really fun title ones. I've written a couple of them down. There's James Jules and the Giant Peach. I fucking love. There's the goat. There's one a piece of me. I want to know who is naming your dishes and secondly, which of those dishes describes you the best? Mm, okay. Um, so Jules won't mind me saying that I do name the dishes. Right, okay. Um, Just feeds into the conspiracy of the love of homes. 100%. But it's fine, whatever. You know I mean? It's there, or it's out there. We used to have one called the Mary Kate Ganashley, which oh, was a chocolate ganache. One. I know. No. Although I wanted that to be called Kate Ganache. <laughs> Jules overrided me on that one. Oh, God. Um, what one describes me I best? Definitely not James Jules and the Giant Peach because my back merges with my calves. There's nothing in between <laughs> at all. Um, I think probably the waffling chicken. Okay. The waffling chicken is one of our like, proper signature dishes. It's it our, is, yeah. our version it's of fried chicken and waffles. Yeah. Real good. It's, yeah. it's amazing, like chili infused honey on top. All sorts of shit, all sorts of shit going on. Um, I think I think that's me. Like, I've got layers. You have so many layers. So many. I actually haven't got layers. I just I give everyone everything when I first meet them. I wish I could be more mysterious, but I just don't shut the fuck up. Um, uh, but I think the waffling chicken. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I tried the waffling chicken. And it was tasty as yeah. well. So it's I light, like that. it's crispy, it's covered in aioli. All of those things that I'm on a yes. Thursday night. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'll ask no more questions. Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll close that chapter. Um, okay, I want to talk a little bit about being a foodie reveling in that so john s allen once said in his book the omnivorous mind is that how you say it Mm. the taste smell and texture of food can be extraordinarily evocative bringing back memories not just of eating food itself but also of place and setting so i wanted to know from you which food or dish is the most evocative or that brings you back to a particular moment in your past brilliant question really really good question (laughs) have you done this before 
Um, so when I was growing up, my we didn't really normally have Sunday lunch, as in like okay. roast. We never had roast dinner on a yeah, Sunday. Yeah, we didn't actually. We had a big Sunday lunch. You know, we always had Sunday lunch together, but, but we didn't have we didn't have the traditional roast dinner. Mm. And one of our favourite Sunday lunches that my dad used to cook was chicken wings and ribs. Love it. And he okay. had two different marinades: one for chicken wings, one for ribs. And we used to have that maybe with like curly fries, some coleslaw. Nice. Um, I'd love to say some salad, but I don't think we had salad. It's the 90s. <laughs> was salad, salad wasn't invented. Um, and probably, you know what, we talk about it quite often, me and my sister, me and my, my, my brothers, Mike and Steve, mm. you know, we kind of say, let's have chicken wings, chicken wings and ribs sometime. And um, we would sit there with the bones on our plate comparing, kind of going, I've had more than you've had. And I'm talking, this was... The the number of chicken wings and ribs that we ate. I I I am serious. Unhealthy. Like to the point that that now even if I went vegan now I've still done more damage than possibly <laughs> I can never undo what we the on that the Timmins family did on a Sunday like on a Sunday lunch. Wow. Okay. Um, and that that brings me back to you know we were a big family. You know, um, my mum obviously has since passed away, which is very very sad. And I do think of eating that meal. And sitting with my with my three siblings and my mum and my dad, and it makes me feel very strange, mm. like an amazing, obviously an amazing feeling, but also a very sad, nostalgic feeling as well. Um, and yeah, probably that, yeah. definitely that. It's also kind of slightly tied to the previous question, but is there a favourite dish of yours that you love to cook for your kind of close friends and family? That's a really nice one. So I always try and keep it like, I don't want anyone to ever feel like, um, I guess like intimidated by it. So I always right, just cook okay. either like a really, really good pasta dish. Like nice. I, I do cook good pasta yeah. um, or a risotto. Gorgeous. I okay. just love it. I think that it's something that a lot of people do at home, mm. both dishes, but then not that many people do really, really, really well. Mm. Um, and I do, do you love... home make the, pa- the actual pasta? I, I have done, but yeah. I wouldn't normally, not if someone was just popping around for dinner. <laughs> it's just a casual thing. Yes. And even... <laughs> <laughs> for weeks on end, just... <laughs> just bends oh, over this? the oh. <laughs> Just over the marble works off. The... Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, probably, yeah. A really good pasta or a really good oh, risotto I mean, dish. I fucking love pasta yeah same so. I love pasta so much do you listen to any amazing foodie podcasts because I am quite partial to I don't know whether or not anyone out here can call Table Manners and yeah, off menu foodie Table Manners is the only it's actually the only podcast I listen to other than yours really yeah it no is no way I always say to people like when do you listen to a podcast and normally they say to me on their commute yeah it's a very commute mm. based yeah yeah but I do like Jesse Wears. I do like yeah, table manners a lot, and I love mom. I love Karis Karis Aldridge's um, uncertainty. <laughs> I hate when I forget the name of the podcast that I'm on. <laughs> I saw the flicker of absolute like fear in your eyes. Fortunately, I only had to You're dance like, to the um, mural on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to pay homage, homage, homage <laughs> to um, to the table manners off menu. So I wanted to know. If you were on death row and you had to pick uh, your final meal, what would you choose for your starter, main course and dessert? It's a really hard question because you have to eat it with a plastic spork, don't you? I have had you no heard about idea that? that that was a thing. No. So in prison, apparently That's in America, really cool. That's really you, only cool. get, you only get a spork, so eat anything you eat with. 
So this, for me, I think people aren't clever enough. As in, people don't take this into account enough. Don't ask for a steak if you've only got a spore. Yeah, that's interesting. Christ. So. Wow, I would never even think to take that into consideration. Oh, honestly, quite. Leave clearly it to the a pro. <laughs> that's um, the difference, yeah. yeah I think yeah. for starter, I would probably have some sort of chicken liver parfait mm. with a chutney or like a jam or a relish of some description and maybe like a brioche. I, f- I find it really okay. hard to not order a pate or a parfait if it's on the menu. Wow, I find it okay. really tough. <laughs> the only other, yeah, no. Um, and then for main course, maybe pork belly. Lovely. Maybe okay. like an Asian pork belly, like a sticky pork belly or something with um, maybe some pak choy or something going on there. I love Asian flavours and I love pork belly. So those are... Those are also, actually, if you had pork belly with some scallops or something like that, dreamy. That's my other favourite starter, scallops. You can mix those. That's interesting. Um, I never think to mix those oh. two together. Sublime. Sublime. Um, and then probably uh, chocolate fondant. You know, the melt-in-the-middle nice. chocolate fondant yeah. with a really, really good oh, vanilla ice cream. We can't talk about uncertainties this whole chaotic decade without talking about relationships and dating and, of course... The infamous, iconic first dates. First dates. Well, actually, first dates hotel. Is that correct? It is correct, yes. I mean, I have so many questions and I realise that we can't be here all night. So I just want you to talk me through this. Talk me through how you even how this came about because I feel like 80% of the population at some point have actually applied to first dates. I 100% did <laughs> during university. I was like, uh, yeah, sign me up. But um, to actually like do it is a whole different mm. thing altogether. So tell me about that whole process. Yeah, so it was something that I didn't know anything about either. Like I said, I knew nothing about television at all before I went on it. And you know when you're at a party and you take a joke too far and everyone gets uncomfortable? <laughs> So that's what first dates was for me. Me and my mate Sophie, who I went travelling with, both applied for it, and suddenly I'd taken the joke too far because I was in Naples, right? And suddenly I'm like, what? What's happening? What? I didn't say that. Um, and that, that that's genuinely essentially what happened. We oh both applied, God. thought it was a bit of a laugh, and suddenly like, oh, they is, kept oh, calling me, and I was on a psychological assessment. God knows how I passed that. You were on a psychological assessment? Well, they have to make sure that, yeah, you're, that you're sound of mind. Or okay, whatever. got you. Got you what kind of questions? Are. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know. Just like, oh, you know, you might get lots of hate on Twitter. Did. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, I went out to, to Italy, to Naples. It was, you know, it was, it was, it was honestly like amazing. It was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. I won't yeah. lie. Like it was, it was fascinating being like, you know, being in a world that I'd never been in. Yeah. You know, you could be. Did they fly in, you first class? Yeah, uh, not first class. No, you're in with the cattle. But oh, um, okay, fair enough. I but, mean, but it, you know, then you got you know money while you're out there, a fair bit of money to be there. Mm. And then, you know, the hotel is obviously amazing and all that sort of thing. Yeah. How um, um how long were you there for? Was it So I was there for three weeks? days, but then because the the date mm, isn't brilliant, they then asked me to come back. So I went on it twice. It was Is it is it very str- like how sorry, I'm asking so many questions here. How close are the cameras to you when you're does it so, does it feel quite invasive? No, it doesn't actually feel invasive because they're all like these micro cameras that are like that you can hardly see and they like turn and like independently there's no right, people okay. behind so is them. it quite easy to forget that you're it, you know what it is really really easy to forget okay that's camera. interesting um yeah. it's, it's quite it, it's a little bit orchestrated they might come up to you occasionally but like can you walk over there and sit next to that blonde lady and maybe ask where she's from 
Yeah, oh, so you really? might walk around the pool okay. and go, you know, hey. But then after that, you're just having a conversation. Um, mm. So you you can forget that the cameras are there. To be fair, they edit everything so nicely. Oh, that's, okay, that's kind of the only okay. reason I was comfortable going on the show. To be honest with you, because it's such a nice show. It's a nice, yeah, 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 yeah. They wouldn't try. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's not the sort of show you're going to get tweets going that guy christ i've just turned up his house to to set it alight because like you know because it's a nice show yeah um yeah 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 i i could i i, I wasn't worried that there would be awkward silences yeah, no, um enough. i was worried that there wouldn't be a spot but i also knew that they'd edit it in a way that that, that it seemed like there was i yeah, think um okay. but generally i i couldn't really knock the the whole thing like it genuinely was like a really really nice experience okay it was really fair. fun oh. crazy <laughs> You literally said that as though you were like oh. Mick Jagger. It's like <laughs> kind of pretty well. Like, I mean, life's yeah. never, life hasn't been the same since. <laughs> That's the day that my life changed. No, seriously, the offers have stopped coming in, and now I'm considering going back to some of them. But yeah, so I quite like talking to people who are like in in the in the final stages of their twenties, let's say, because I feel like you can really start looking back at the entire decade in quite a reflective way, which I think is quite interesting. So I wanted to ask you how you would describe the, you know, messy, chaotic decade that is your 20s in one word, unless it's messy and chaotic and then <laughs> I've just ruined that for you, sorry. No, not at all. I think mine would probably be, it would probably be unexpected. Okay. I think that where I am now in my life, if you'd asked me at 19, 20, mm. there's not one thing that I'm doing now, not one situation in my life that I could have predicted. Wow, okay. Like I really, like I really, really mean that. Would I have thought that I was living with my sister, my best friend? No, we never thought we'd get a chance to live together when she left, you know, when she moved out. Would I have thought that I, you know, sometimes I sit, I stand there on a Saturday night working in the kitchen of a waffle house I own whilst you know, Venga boys were going to Ibiza is on the sounds. And I just think, what the fuck is this? <laughs> would I have ever yeah. expected that? I'm, I'm wearing Crocs as well, but would you have, would I have predicted that? Image. Yeah. You know, you know, my mum passing away, you know, would I have ever thought at 28, my mum wasn't here with me? Yeah. There's, there's, you know, would I have thought that we've just spent two years indoors? Like there is nothing, there is not one part I think of my 20s so far, eight and a bit years, that I would have expected, so unexpected. And I think that uh, owning a business and actually my mum passing away has really taught me that, at least in my social life, at least in my personal life, I have relinquished a lot of control, like as in I am a lot less um, uptight and as much of a control freak, like I do kind of realise that life just happens and you have to just go with it, you've got to roll with the punches. Work-wise, I am still like that, but like you said earlier, I think you have to be a little bit. Mm. But um, when it comes to my personal life, I think I have like learned how to like chill out a little bit more and just kind of and roll with it. And because it's not, you can't control it. Yeah, you can't work out. You know, you can't as much it. as you want to as well. Exactly. Like, and as much as you can will something to happen yeah. in one way. All you'll do is end up missing opportunities as well because you're yeah. like, nope, that's not that wasn't in my path. Mm. Nope. You know, people that stay with partners for too long because, well, it fits in with their life plan. I was supposed to be married by thirty, and I'm twenty nine. So it's got to be him. It's not cute. <laughs> not cute. <laughs> That's the advice to take away from those guys. Not <laughs> cute. Just not cute. Get rid of him. Um, what do you think, I guess, is kind of this 
follows on from that. But what do you think has been the big, biggest lesson that you've also learned from this decade? Or mm. what advice would you give if you could go back in time and see little 20 year old James? So I think I'd say enjoy your hair. Because <laughs> it might not last as long as you thought it was going to. Um, I think it sounds a bit cliche, it probably sounds a little bit cringy, but just do what you love doing. Like, just just do what you enjoy. Don't do anything that you don't want to do. Whether it's, you know, a job, whether it's social plans that you don't want to go to, but you feel obliged to. Like, life is just too short mm. to do things for other people. And, you know, as an opposite, I do things for other people. But, like, um, just to appease other people and, mm. and, and make yourself unhappy. Um because life is too short. Like you don't know how long it's going to be. You don't know how long you're going to be here for. And you know, you've just got to make the most of your time here, making yourself happy. I totally agree. Um, I think that's a really that's a really fantastic piece of advice to give to somebody. It's been amazing. Oh man. I can't honestly, believe that I've we're coming to the end. Um, but I have two final questions that I ask my guests. The first being, what do you feel the most uncertain about? right this second I think um, it's, it's the growth of my business definitely it's um, you know work is easy when we've got our, our hands on and our eyes on absolutely everything but naturally as a, our business grows and we talk about now a, a second restaurant and hopefully long term a third a fourth a fifth a sixth restaurant it is 110% how we put the people in place and the processes in place to allow that to happen while still keeping the quality and the you know the brand feel across all the platforms 110% that it's something that's plaguing me and Julia every day at the moment oh excite but also quite exciting it's, very, it's a very exciting. exciting venture and the fact that you're like in a position to be even having a conversation of expanding yeah i mean i might be back on this in a year's time and both <laughs> i launched another restaurant and both failed because we weren't putting in the time and effort because we were too busy in barbados <laughs> But we should be mad. Wouldn't I be would mad not about be that. Sad, no, yeah, right. exactly. Um, and what do you feel the most certain about right now? I tell you what, this answer was not planned because I didn't know those questions were coming. But also work. I know that we've built something that is, um, you know, that, that that people are absolutely loving. Like it's very very rare that we ever get customers and experiences that don't come back. Um, I think the brand is strong. I think the food is strong. I think <clears throat> I, I think we're really, really onto something and actually as much as you know, there's areas of it that make me uncertain, I know that we will that we'll um combat those and and I've got absolutely no doubt that the Utter Waffle will be a huge success. I mean, you and I both. Oh, you and I both, honey. You flirt. <laughs> Stop it. Oh, James, it's been so lovely it's having been you. So, thank you for having me. <laughs> but no, this has actually truly been amazing. So thank, no, you, thank so, you so much for having so me. So much. It's been a pleasure. Um, and this has been The Uncertainties, and we will be back with another episode very soon. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>